the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, folks. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom, how are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the second hour of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is an award-winning author of Finally Out, Letting Go of Living Straight and Distinguished Life Fellow of the American Psychiatric Association. He was a physician for over 50 years and uh, served as a flight surgeon in the U.S. Navy. He has a new book that is uh, a collection of essays. It's a memoir by um, by way of a collection of uh, essays. And he um, joins me by phone, Dr. Lauren Olson. Lauren, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Tom. Thanks so much for having me. I had uh, two sets of notes uh, cobbled up here together. I almost... Uh, uh, almost started reading the wrong biographical <laughs> stuff, um, but I'm you know clumsy like that. Um, anyway, the uh, the the new book um, this is uh, pretty heavy stuff. I mean, no more neckties is the name of the book, and that sounds like it's it's kind of fun, or maybe it's some kind of a. Uh, business uh, entrepreneur self-help book, but this is something very different than that because you share some very personal things that um, troubled you throughout your life. And I, I guess the, the, the big question to start with is how did you end up in the world of psychiatry so many people who suffer from some of the anxieties you had avoid that world if they can. Well, that's an interesting question, Tom, because um, I've uh, always said uh, to medical students when they come through rotations and stuff that uh, psychiatry isn't a choice you make, it's a calling. And I, th I think um, I was really drawn to it um, because I know what uh, emotional pain feels like. And therefore, it allows me to empathize with other people who are going through it. And for me, it was a, a way to find meaning to help those people deal with the pain in their lives and give them a sense of hope that they could get through theirs too. Can anybody really live life without suffering some emotional pain? 
No, the human condition is one of uh, uh, painful events, and uh, for some people, a lot more than others. But uh, we always experience uh, loss in our relationships or uh, loneliness, or uh, uh, some people, of course, have more biologically based uh, psychiatric problems. But uh, pain is a part of our human uh, uh, circumstance. Now, when you were young and growing up in the 50s, um, you lost your dad at a very early age, and, um, and, and your mother suffered some, some trauma because she actually found your dad who'd been killed by... I, and I don't know how this happened in the 50s. This sounds like something from the late 1800s, Lauren. <laughs> you know, your dad was killed by being dragged by runaway horses i mean this is this is an old west death and and i don't (laughs) and i don't mean to make light of it lauren but when i read that i thought wow that just seems so out of time and place um but and your grandfather committed suicide your mother found both of them her father who had committed suicide and your father who you know, was dragged through Dodge City by runaway horses. Um, it's that's a painful thing for her to go through. But then, what was the impact on you as a very young boy? Well, uh, for my uh, father's death, of course, I was only three. Uh, and uh, I don't have a lot of real memories of it. I, I have memories of what I, you know, uh, maybe imagine or what people have told me. Um, some of them are probably not completely accurate. Um, but for me, it was growing up without a father and uh, thinking that there were certain things that I was not going to be able to learn from my dad like we uh, expect to be able to learn. And so uh, I, for many years, years, I had uh, differences in the way that I felt about myself, and I attributed a lot of that to my father. Uh, My my grandfather's suicide was something that I didn't learn about until I was uh, about 21 or 2, I think. I was in medical school at the time, and um, my brother kind of accidentally told me about it, and uh, I was stunned because we were living with my grandpa at the time that it happened. And uh, I thought, how could this secret have been buried uh, for so long? Uh, and now I can look at it from a different perspective because I think it was so traumatizing uh, for my mother and uh, so uh, my, uh, so late on the heels of uh, my father's death that she just couldn't talk about it without re-experiencing it. So she kind of buried it away. But uh, I was uh, six at the time my, my grandfather died. And uh, uh, I've talked about both of these things as a way of trying to understand myself. And and um, uh, I think it's important for us to talk about uh, the suicide in our family because we have a depressive thread that runs through our family. And uh, it's important, I think, uh, to know that... Uh, we're vulnerable to that, and uh, Lauren, we need to be able to address it. Were you an only child? No, I was number four of four. Uh, I was uh, the baby, so to speak, uh, and uh, maintained that role until my mother died, I think. 
<laughs> I, you know, what's, I, I what's took funny, advantage of it. <laughs> but when you say that, there are people who come to my mind that I know that could say that same thing. You know, they were always the youngest and, you know, treated differently and, you know, carried that, milked it, if you will, you know, right throughout life pretty much. Um, but the reason I asked if you had siblings is because um, you talk a lot about loneliness. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I was, uh, uh, I mean, our family is very close, and I don't have many secrets from them. Uh, but um, when I was growing up, uh, I uh, felt that I didn't quite fit into my uh, neighborhood. I grew up in Wakefield, Nebraska, which is a town of about a thousand. It maintained a, a thousand people throughout the entire time that I lived there. And it's a very rural town. Um, I, I kind of describe it as tribal because everybody knew everybody, but everybody knew everybody's history as well. And uh, it wasn't particularly welcoming to interlopers who came uh, for a short period of time. Um, but the moral code that was uh, enforced in that town was enforced uh, kind of through shame and guilt um, by uh, gossip. And uh, for me, it was uh, I had uh, some secrets uh, that I was struggling with, and uh, there was always a fear that I was going to be exposed in some way. Uh, and uh, so it wasn't a very comfortable place for me. I didn't feel like I fit in. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, fitting in uh, is important to us. Uh, it's not the same as acceptance. But uh, I worked hard to be the best little boy I could be uh, to fit into that environment. And you had questions about your own sexuality, yet you married and had children, stayed married for a very long time. Um, was that was that part of that process of of just simply fitting in? Yes, it certainly was, and you know, I I really uh, well for one thing, I I grew up in the fifties and sixties, and there were not gay people that I knew. The first openly gay person I knew was when I was in my thirties. And had so, there and had there been at that particular time, they probably would have advised you to do exactly what you did. I think so. I think I think so. Uh, that was the expectation. It was always my expectation that I would meet, be married and have children and and be uh, the kind of father that I always wanted to have. And so I, I had uh, no real awareness. What I had was a a fear that I wasn't quite man enough. And and uh, frankly, uh, Tom, for years I attributed that to my father's death. And I said, well, if he had been here, I wouldn't have felt that I had this conflict about um, sexuality or manliness or how to be a man. I would I would have had all those answers that I I sought. And now looking back on them. I can see that it was kind of an excuse, uh, a rational explanation for why I felt those that sense of difference that I felt. Uh, but I had absolutely no awareness of it, and and I married my wife in good faith. I expected that we would be married uh, uh, forever. Uh, that was my dream, 
Um, that was her dream. And uh, so when the uh, same-sex attractions became so powerful that I couldn't deal with it any longer, it was quite a shock, I think, to both of us. Had you acted on uh, any of those impulses during your marriage? Uh, no, uh, I was uh, completely monogamous with my wife, uh, and well, I, I no, I, I, I good made for you, Lauren. Not a lot of <laughs> not a lot of people can say that. <laughs> well, I have to say that as as our marriage was ending. Uh, I had my first uh, same-sex experience, so I was, I in fact, uh, I suppose, cheated on her in that sense. But uh, the decision to end our marriage had pretty much already been married, made even before I came out to her. Uh, so, uh, uh, but you know, through the uh, first, we were married eighteen years. For the first. Um, Probably 17 years, I was uh, completely faithful to her uh, and never had any ex expectation that I would cheat with either a man or a woman. But would then when our marriage began to sort of uh, dissolve, then I began to think, I need to deal with this loneliness I'm feeling. And I thought about having an affair. Uh, and my first thought was it would be with a woman. I didn't have any idea it would be with a man. Was she surprised? When you came out to her, or had she had suspicions throughout your your lives together? Uh, she was blown away. You know, yeah. she uh, and in fact, uh, when I wrote my first book, I went uh, uh, to see her. I called her and I said, uh, "Can I come talk to you about our sex life?" <laughs> and uh, she and I have a good relationship, so I felt perfectly comfortable doing that. And uh, I wanted to ask her the question you just asked me. Uh, and I said, uh, Lynn, did you ever feel that I was not totally present uh, during our uh, sex life? And she said, no, you were always a good and attentive lover. Uh, and I never recognized anything. And then she added, but now we've both had other experiences. And we know that for neither of us, it was what it should have been. Interesting. Um, Lauren, I have to take a short break here, and I want to talk some more about some of these things because you share some um, pretty important things for a lot of people who have difficulty expressing themselves. You've taken it on yourself to do it um, from your own experiences, and um, I, I, I want to share some more of that. Can you stick around for a few minutes? I sure can. Okay. My guest is uh, Dr. Lauren Olson, and uh, the name of the book, and again, I've got my notes all jumbled up here, is No More Neckties, and uh, of course, it is a uh, collection of uh, essays um, that talk about uh, some of the experiences of Lauren's life. It's uh, kind of a, a memoir. In any event, we're going to let our broadcast partners uh, squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. They are in Flint, uh, WFOVLP 92.1 FM, Our Voices Radio. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. 
And uh, if you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We have lots more of the Tom Sumner Program coming up straight ahead. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom General stuff? Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than a thousand dollars now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So, listen. We just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. 
Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation with uh, nationally recognized psychiatrist and author, Dr. Lauren Olson, who joins me by phone. Lauren, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. I think we have a lot more to talk about, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) What makes you say that, Lauren? Because <laughs> <laughs> you asked some very interesting questions. I, I, I know there's some more coming. <laughs> well, let's, let's start with this one. When you were studying uh, medicine and psychiatry, how much of it was learning the field and how much of it was answering questions you had about yourself? Well, that's uh, certainly everybody always says that uh, all uh, psychiatrists and mental health professionals are a little bit crazy, and and there's probably a little bit of truth to that in the sense that uh, I think, as I said earlier, that uh, what draws us into psychiatry is that we we recognize what those pains feel like, uh, and so that you know I've always been somewhat introspective and and curious about why I became the person I became, uh, and uh, but I think uh, the important uh, stuff that I really dealt with was during my third year when I, I was in therapy with a, a very wonderful man uh, and I uh, dealt with the grief and loss and the issues related to my father uh, and began to uh, uh, finally come to terms with that. And uh, it was during the time that I was seeing the therapist that I actually had my first sexual experience and I had to, with a man uh, and I had to confess that to him. And it was uh, probably 1973 uh, before uh, psychiatry was taken out of the diagnosis, or uh, before homosexuality was removed from the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. And the therapist didn't know quite what to do with me at that point. Uh, and uh, so that uh, part of uh, my confusion and difficulty I had not resolved by the time I had uh, left medical school. But I was really not very aware of it either. I, I mean, I I really thought it was going to be a one-off sexual experience with another man. I didn't realize that it would uh, become uh, a way uh, that I would live my life. And you talk about finding your true self. Mm-hmm. And what does that what does that really mean? Uh, to to what degree are we and I'm talking about all of us living uh, to some degree um a a pretend life. Well, I think all of us, of course, uh, inherit a value system from our parents or from the community or uh, some combination of all of that. 
uh, and uh, it requires a certain amount of um, maturity and life experience before one can begin to question whether those values are the ones that you really want to hold on to. Uh, and so a lot of people, I think, have secret desires, secret uh, uh, stories that they uh, don't feel comfortable sharing with anyone because it feels so wrong at first. When you, when you feel like you're departing from the values that you inherited, you feel a lot of guilt and shame about that. And what happens then, Tom, is that people don't talk about that with anyone because they feel that shame, uh, and that leads to the loneliness that we were talking about earlier. Uh, if you can't uh, reveal who you really are, it keeps you at a distance from other people. Do you have any regrets looking back that you didn't maybe come to terms with some things sooner or act on things sooner? No, I, I uh, uh, try to live my life without regret. You know, I, it's not to say that I did everything right. I don't mean that. It's just that, you know, we make the decisions we make at the time we make them with the best information we have at the time we make those decisions. And so, I, you know, the things that I did in getting married to my wife and having my children were all decisions that I made uh, with what my understanding of life at that point. At some point, uh, I had new information, and then I had to make different decisions. So I don't have any re real regret about that. I mean, the only regret maybe is that uh, I hurt people I, I really love uh, in the process of doing that, but I don't feel I could have done it differently. Now, when you wrote uh, your book, Finally Out, and and then now this subsequent book, uh, this new memoir, No More Neckties, how much of the decision to share all of this information, this very personal information about yourself with the world comes from um, the the writing process itself being somewhat therapeutic or your chosen profession? Is, is there an understanding and obligation that you need to share good information with people? It's a uh, mixed uh, kind of expectation about that. I think uh, in the sense that uh, psychiatrists typically are uh, not supposed to share too much information about themselves because we don't want to um, sort of contaminate the therapeutic process. The first book, Finally Out, uh, was written because I had uh, searched for information about other uh, men coming out in midlife, what it was like to have been married and have children and, and to come out. And I couldn't find much written about it at the time. So I thought, well, I'll just write my own book about it. And that book is more uh, some personal information, uh, some psychological insights, some gay history. And, and so it, it has a more uh, focused uh, and maybe... Um, academic approaches, although I tend to write with a pretty conversational style. Uh, when I started working on No More Neckties, I actually wrote uh, the most difficult chapters, and we haven't talked about those yet, but the most difficult chapters uh, were written about 10 years prior to the time I wrote the book. 
Um, and I wrote them very much as a uh, therapeutic process. I used journaling a lot in my own life to try and figure out uh, my own uh, conflicts. And I encourage my patients to do it as well if they're people who uh, enjoy writing or uh, uh, doing that kind of analytical work. But um, uh, I had to hide a part of that for uh, several years before I really felt comfortable well, in showing it to the world. Lauren, how do you, um, how does it, how do you find things that are um, more embarrassing or, or maybe, um, I, I'm not even sure what the right word is, how do you top being married and raising children and then coming out as gay? <laughs> well, uh, you know... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I asked that really the right way, Lauren, but... I, I said, you know, what could be worse, huh? <laughs> well, what could what could be more traumatic? What could be more personally revealing? Well, I think uh, the fact that I uh, have been with uh, my husband for uh, 35 years and we went through a period when uh, I was unfaithful to him and I had uh, uh, committed to, uh, my, my belief system, the value system I inherited has always been monogamy. And so we went through a very difficult time uh, about 10 years ago when we had to uh, deal with that. And... Um, so, you know, people say once a cheater, always a cheater. I don't really see myself as a cheater. I look back on that time now and I understand that I was in a bad spot um, uh, in my head at the time. I was feeling kind of wounded and burnt out professionally and everything else. And, you know, I think we're all vulnerable through making uh to making bad choices during times when life isn't going so well for us and that's what happened to me uh, and so i i felt a lot of guilt and shame about that and uh you know uh, doug and i hadn't really talked about some of the hard things in our life and if you don't talk about the hard stuff uh, uh it uh, pulls you apart from each other and so through the process of discussing some of those uh, hard things that we had been avoiding, we were able to hold on to our relationship. And one of my uh, major hopes in writing about this is that, you know, if you have a, uh, a really good relationship with a person you want to spend your life with, uh, you don't necessarily have to throw it away because of a stupid indiscretion uh, that you've had. Uh, but it takes some work. It takes the power of forgiveness. It takes a lot of uh, pain uh, and anger that you have to get rid of uh, to be able to do it. And Doug and I have now been together uh, 35 years. And I guess uh, part of the reason I couldn't have published that earlier was because I wasn't sure that we were going to make it. And uh, uh, now that we have, I feel more comfortable saying, yeah, we were able to work through that too. But there are some things that you talk about from, from um, your time as a young boy growing up and being overweight, for example. Um, yes. Is that is is weight something you struggled with all your life, or did you ever overcome that? 
Uh, <laughs> I've overcome it a time and time and time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> again, and I've, I've, it's like it's like smoking. I've quit lots of times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a very much a, a parallel to that, and I'm working on it again now. But you know, the thing about it is, uh, when I was uh, young, I had boobs. I had uh, what's uh, technically called gynecomastia or um, um, uh, a lot of uh, breast tissue on my body. And because of this conflict I was talking about earlier about not being manly enough, uh, it was like there on my chest was evidence that proved that I wasn't a total man. So I had this real sense of shame well, about most, my body. Most men don't really have a rack. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, but I had a a good start on one, you know, uh, and you know, uh, I don't know how much of a problem it was for other people, or uh, but it was, if, if it, but it was really it, hard on you. It was very hard on me, um, and, and part of it was because I thought it was revealing something about me that I was trying so hard to hide. Um, and, uh, but yes, I've always been a big man. Uh, I, uh, uh, my, <laughs> my doctor, uh, says, Lauren, uh, you're healthy for a fat man, you know, <laughs> and I, I love him for being that honest with me, you know, <laughs> uh, but I, uh, he, and he says, you know, the, the weight charts that you have, uh, that are published, uh, the, uh, BMI for uh, you just don't fit for the way you're built. And so I'm comfortable with my body now, but I have to continue to work on uh, being healthy and having a weight which is acceptable, even though it uh, doesn't match those on the chart. It, I just, I, I just can't help wondering how you got to a place where you're this comfortable talking about issues that were very painful for you, but are very painful for anyone going through similar kinds of issues. Well, uh, we'll see how comfortable I am after. The, I mean, the book is being shipped today, as a matter of fact, for the, uh, finally. And so uh, when I hear the rea reaction and response, I know I'm going to get some pushback on, on this. After the first book came out, I had a, one of my patients came in. She said, Dr. Olson, I read your book. You told me more than you need to. Well, this one tells a lot more than that one did. And I know that there are going to be <clears throat> some people that will be uncomfortable with that. And, uh, you know, there's nothing uh, partic particularly salacious about any of this. What I've written about is stuff that people in heterosexual marriages go through, uh, where a lot of people can relate to uh, in that way. But, uh, Tom, I think, uh, and I know that you know this because of the work that you do, but stories are what change people's minds and uh, it's not if I if I came on and I quoted all the statistics and all the studies the academic studies your learn uh, your listeners would be turning to a different station but hopefully in uh, talking about my life in a very personal way they can relate to some of the same emotions in their own lives and begin to understand that maybe they're not as alone as they thought uh, in what they're going through I was just going to ask if that's really 
um, sort of what you hope people will take away from, especially this new book, this this sense that um, people who suffer some of the things that you've suffered are not alone. Yeah, that's absolutely it. You know, some of the nicest comments I got from the early reviewers were uh, things like I had a, I felt like I was having a conversation uh, with Dr. Olson about, and even though my life experience is different, uh, I can relate to what he's saying, uh, and all of us can relate to the fact that we've gone through um, hard times in our lives, and we need to find ways to get through those uh, without giving up hope. And bottom line message, I to hope to to give to people is a message of hope that uh, even though you've had hard stuff, uh, there are ways that you can get through it and get to be able to live the life you were meant to live. Where did the title No More Neckties come from? Well, uh, <laughs> that's uh, a, a fun story, I think. Uh, um, the working title for a long time was uh, uh, Fitting In Is Not Belonging, and uh, it sounded too much self-help, kind of pop psychology, uh, didn't seem to be enough. And But uh, what happened was when my mother died, I was about 60, and I made a commitment to myself at that time that I, uh, you know, it was sort of a point where I was reevaluating my life. And I, I said, I'm, um, I'm never going to sit through a boring lecture again. I'm, uh, if it's a bad lecture, I'm going to leave. I even told my minister if it was a bad sermon, I was going to leave. Uh, uh, I said I would never go to a cocktail party to network with people that I didn't like. Uh, and I would never wear a necktie again. And that thought came back to me as we were uh, working with a publisher to try and discover a new title. And so no, no more neckties uh, rose out of that situation, a commitment I made to myself uh, upon my mother's death. And uh, it's really about a metaphor for throwing off expectations, uh, living the life you're meant to live, and that uh, seemed to fit, and everybody liked it, uh, and that's how it all came about. Well, it lent itself to some really cool graphics on the cover of the book, too. Well, uh, that was also an interesting process because in my initial action, uh, thought was uh, that uh, I liked the idea of some uh, a man ripping open a shirt and everything. But then I, I did some research and I thought, well, this is really kind of a trite image. And so I wanted a, a kind of a minimal, minimalistic cover. And so I made it as a... Um, uh, line drawing of the man uh and then uh william dameron who wrote the book the lie and i were conversing about this he said well it's lacking something if it's just a man and so that's when the butterflies came and one of the things i wanted to do was to make sure that there were uh at least one black butterfly in there to suggest that some of the secrets that were being revealed some of the vulnerabilities were really uh, black, uh, uh, dark times, and, and so that's how the image came about. When I, I have to admit, when I first saw the image, I, I flashed back to um, Clark Kent in the alley, tearing uh -huh. his shirt open and becoming <laughs> Superman. And, and I don't, I don't think that's exactly what you had in mind, but. Uh, 
Well, if you want to think of me as Superman, I'm okay with that. <laughs> but, but it isn't the image. But I think, you know, probably the Superman story is kind of a metaphor for the same thing, uh, uh, throwing off uh, uh, one life for another life and uh, becoming a different person than you were. So maybe it's not altogether irrelevant. Well, having a secret identity. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and uh, you, you kind of did for a while. Yeah. I I did for the first half of my life, you know. Uh, I say that I've been gay for half my life, and the other half I was confused, you know. <laughs> 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 you know. Oh, Congress doesn't take that long to make up their mind, Lauren. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but they don't ever come to a decision either. Yeah, fair, fair point there. Um but the uh, name of the book is No More Neckties. No, no More Neckties. It comes out today, and uh, it's by Dr. Lauren Olson. He is um, a nationally recognized psychiatrist, the author of the award-winning Finally Out. And um, Lauren, I, I always we're almost out of time, and and the time is going by so fast. I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website you'd like to share? I do, I do have a website. Uh, uh, first of all, people can just Google No More Neckties, and my uh, website will pop up uh, as the first one on uh, in their browser. But uh, my actual website is No More Neckties Book. Dot com, And on um, my website, I have a blog that I have been writing uh, for some time. Uh, and um, uh, so th there are many ways to reach it. The, the book is going to be available uh, through any independent bookstore. You can order it through them. They probably won't have it stocked, at least not yet. And it's uh, out on uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and IndieBound now. Uh, and uh, being shipped as we speak. Uh, so uh, there are several ways. And I uh, I want to say, too, to Tom, that I, I love hearing from people uh, who have questions or um, uh, who um, uh, maybe are touched by something I've written. And those often uh, are the motivation for writing more. Uh, and I love those conversations. And I have my blog is called Ask the Doc, uh, and it's on uh, nomoreneckties.book.com. And uh, a, a lot of those uh, posts in my blog came from questions and comments that I've gotten from uh, people. Is there another so, book on the horizon? Well, you know, I uh, have written some, uh, although uh, getting a book out and getting it uh, published it takes a lot of time and work, and so I haven't done much real writing uh, in the last few months. But uh, I uh, have another book of 50 years in psychiatry. It won't be uh, a memoir of uh, uh, my personal life as much as what it's been like to pra practice psychiatry. Uh, and certainly if there's another epidemic, uh, pandemic like COVID, uh, I'll be having a third book for sure. <laughs> well, <laughs> Lauren, thank you so much for spending this time with me and the listeners this morning, and keep up the good work. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Tom. I, uh, I've enjoyed it a lot. All right. Take care.
Thanks. Once again, Dr. Lauren Olson, a nationally recognized psychiatrist and uh, author of a brand new book that's just coming out as we speak called No More Neckties. We're going to take a short break, let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. And don't forget, you can scroll through the show archives for old Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Cloth or disposable? Paint or wallpaper? Yellow or green? Babies come with lots of decisions. Crib or bassinet? Rocker or glider? So when it comes to protection against diseases, go with the safest, most effective choice. Vaccination. To protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases like measles, meningitis, and whooping cough. That's why nearly all parents choose it. Stroller or carriage? Basketball or soccer? So get all the recommended vaccinations for your baby by age two. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov slash vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. Justin or Justine. Immunizations help give you the power to protect your baby. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Why are we stopping? We're going to be late for the show. Mom, Dad, we got to get gas. You're not here, you're not. This place is charging an arm and a leg. Look, 
These days, price swings of 30 or 40 cents per gallon aren't unusual. But when a gas station charges a price way above the price at similar stations, that could be gas gouging. Michigan gas stations sell the correct quality and quantity of gas most of the time. But when a station does try to illegally take advantage of drivers, my office is here to stop them. Stop attorney generaling! We got a concert to get to! I hope she doesn't sit next to us. Narc. This is Attorney General Dana Nessel. If you have information about potential gas gouging, call my office or go online at michigan.gov slash ag. Put those away. We're at a gas station. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. There's a book written called Psychological Studies of Famous Americans, and it examines from a psychological viewpoint uh, Robert E. Lee and Ulysses S. Grant and uh, Walt Whitman, people like this, and tries to explain in terms of psychology why these people acted the way they did, that they really did not act from... uh, from valor or anything else, that there were deep psychological problems these people had, and that's why they reacted the way they did. One person they skipped that I thought would be a great subject for analysis, if they had analysis when he was around, was uh, Ben Franklin. I think he... (laughs) I think this man is ripe for analysis. So this is uh, Ben's analyst, and he's in a typical analyst's office. He has a, a, a desk and a chair and a couch, and an intercom. Yeah, uh, who, who, uh, who is it, Murray? Ben, ben Franklin. Um, can, I, uh, can I duck him, Murray? <laughs> he's, he's, he's standing right there in the office. He's, he's dripping all over the rugs. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. Send him in, Mary. Uh, uh, Mary, how, how's he doing on his account? Uh, th- uh, three months behind, huh? Yeah, he's, he's thrifty, all right, Mary. He's... All right, send him in. Send him in. Well, hi, hi there, Ben. How are you today? Good. Ben, you wanna you wanna lie down on the couch there? Uh, ben, you wanna put some papers down on the couch so <laughs> don't uh, don't get the couch all wet. Well, I'd, I'd say from the looks of our clothes, we've been uh, flying the kite again in the rainstorm, right, Ben? <laughs> okay, Ben, um, we copied down our dreams, did we? Mm-hmm. You, you didn't have to. It's the same one. You're, you're walking down the street, and you, you find a half dollar, and your face is on it. That's, that's pretty sick, Ben, you know that? <laughs> Washington has the same dream, only he sees his face on paper. Huh? Do you want to you give George my number, uh, Ben? <laughs> okay, Ben, let's, let's see if we can't get to the bottom of this kite fixation thing. Um, the, uh, the lightning knocked you down again, uh, did it, Ben?
You're, you're not surprised by that, though, are you? I mean, you, you expect it to knock you down, don't you? <laughs> you know, Ben, uh, you being a founding father and all, you know, it, uh, it doesn't exactly inspire confidence in people to see a, you know, a grown man flying a kite, you know? <laughs> it's too bad it, it, it isn't something a little more private, you know, you could, you could do in the privacy of your own room, like uh, spinning a top, you know, <laughs> some, something like that. You ever, ever thought of spinning a top, Ben? Wouldn't, wouldn't knock you down. Mm-hmm. That's, that's important to you, is it, Ben? The, mm-hmm. Okay, let, let me see if I have the picture now, Ben. Uh, you're flying your kite, all right, Ben? And you're letting out the string. Everything's the same as usual. There's, there's something different this time. You, you use strips of cloth for the tail. Red, white, and blue strips of cloth. <laughs> where'd, uh, where'd you get the red, white, and blue strips of cloth, Ben? From, from Betsy Ross. <laughs> she, she's got plenty of it. She, she's up to wearing it, Ben? <laughs> now, uh, Be- uh, Betsy gave you the cloth, did she, Ben? You, you took the cloth. A, a penny saved is a penny earned. Why, uh, why didn't you ask uh, Betsy for the cloth, Ben? She thinks you're a sissy because you wear bows on your shoes. And, and she chased you down the street yelling, you're not thrifty, you're cheap. She, uh, she could have something there, Ben. Not, nothing, nothing, Ben. Mm-hmm. Why, uh, why didn't you uh, pay Betsy uh, for, for the cloth, Ben? Keep what is dear to you if, if you would prosper. Mm-hmm. Ben, I, I think we can get a lot more done if, if you drop the little homilies after, after each, uh, each statement. Ben, we don't seem to be getting anywhere with a, with a kite thing. Uh, let's switch to something else. How, how are the inventions uh, coming along, Ben? You, you got lucky this morning. You, you don't have to wear your bifocals anymore. The, the lightning fused your glasses to your eyeballs. <laughs> What, uh, what are you going to call them, Ben? Con- contact lenses. <laughs> ben, I, I, uh, I sure would like to be more optimistic about your condition, but um, <laughs> afraid I'm going to have to recommend a shock treatment, Ben. Uh, I, don't, I don't like to do it because there are always uh, undesirable side effects. Well, what, what we do, Ben, is uh, we stick you inside the Liberty Bell and, uh, and we, <coughs> we uh, ring, ring it a couple times, you know. Well, uh, the problem is you, you, you quiver for about two or three years, you see. <laughs> ben, I'm afraid our time is almost up. We'll see you uh, next, next Thursday, then. Right. Goodbye, Ben. You, you get him, Mary? He ran out, ran out already, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs>
This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Oh, that 
Passion Radio for a new generation. Tom Sumner Program.com. Tom Summer Program.com The Tom Summer Program.com Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 